0: A voting meltdown over voting rights. Where is all this headed in Texas? Let's figure it out. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com, and grinding out those stories every day at HoustonChronicle.com. Is Jeremy Wallace? How are you doing, sir? I'm doing just
1: fine. Just celebrating Willie Nelson's birthday.
0: Is it actually uh, today?
1: There's uh, a dispute about that. Willie himself has said at times it's the 30th, but he's listed as the 29th almost everywhere else you look. So mm. but anyhow,
0: happy 31, birthday, Willie. Yes, absolutely. I know 31. you're
1: listening somewhere out there. Why wouldn't
0: you? <laughs> well, why wouldn't he? Uh, 31 days, 12 hours, 19 minutes and 54 seconds. That's what's left in this legislative session. Not that anybody is counting. Actually, we do at quorumreport.com. We put that countdown clock every session there right on the homepage, Jeremy. Probably the most popular thing we do at this time, right? As we go into May, a lot of people are ready for it to be done. And some things happen in the process that are a little shocking to people. And a lot of this can be very arcane. I want to help people understand what's going on with these big issues. Let's start with the voting rights issue. I mean, we have seen this debate play out over Senate Bill 7 and HB 6. As you have reported here, these bills are very different. Um, I saw this headline Uh, from yesterday. Democrats are asking the Department of Justice to monitor the legislative proceedings. Why are they doing that? Well, there was a bit of a meltdown in the Texas House Elections Committee uh, last night. uh, They voted out Senate Bill 7, sending it to the full house. And I know some folks who are legislative nerds, which I would be included in that, they would say, Scott, it doesn't go to the full house yet. It goes to the calendars committee next. I, I know that, right? But but the committee voted to to recommend that the entire house sign off on uh, sign off on Senate bill 7 now what they're really doing let me explain this is they're voting on the language that they held that long hearing on the 22 hours or however long it went they held that hearing on HB6 which is it's it's a lot of changes to voting laws in Texas um, but it's not Senate bill 7 uh, which I think you know when you look at the uh, corporate backlash and what Democrats have said about this voting rights groups etc Senate bill 7 seems to be in their estimation worse yep. right I mean it's there's a lot of changes in there that are way worse in their estimation as far as you know clamping down on the franchise or voting mm-hmm. um, chairman Briscoe Kane in the House Elections Committee, uh, yesterday around lunchtime, I think, uh, or I'm sorry, it was in the morning. I think it was before 10 o'clock. Um, he wanted to just go ahead and vote this thing out of his committee. And this is something that can be done. Uh, the Democrats objected to the way he was doing it, but it can be done. <laughs> the Senate can have an all-night debate on something, which they did with Senate Bill 7. Yes. And as soon as it gets to the House and it's heard in a committee, the chairman can just completely rewrite it. Right? After they did all of that work uh, on the other side of the building, you know, for hours and hours, a full day of debating this thing, um, as soon as it's in the House, the House sponsor or chairman can just rewrite the whole thing and say, you know, actually, the language that we held that hearing on, we'll just put that in instead. We'll delete everything that's in Senate Bill 7 and we'll copy paste HB 6 into it. All right? Am I making sense so far? So Kane tried to go ahead and do that and then hold a vote. On the new version of Senate Bill 7, the sweeping elections bill, and the Democrats on the committee had a few questions for the chairman about the way that he was proceeding.
2: Chair now lays out Senate Bill 7 by Senator Hughes. There's the bill relating to elections, including election integrity and security, creating criminal offenses, spreading civil penalties. The chair offers up a committee substitute. Mr. Chairman. Yes. Can you walk us through the committee substitute and all the changes from SB 7? Of course, the committee substitute is identical to a bill that you voted on recently, two weeks ago. Which Chairman. bill was that? The, the bill is House Bill 6. In full? In full. SB 7's been gutted, House Bill 6 has been put. I wouldn't say that, but House Bill 6 is on the bill. That's correct. Can I ask in the committee substitute, does it still have the provisions around filming for poll watchers? The committee substitute is identical to House Bill 6. Was that a no? It's identical to House Bill 6. Did House Bill 6 contain that? It did not.
0: So Kane is putting his own version of this into Senate Bill 7. You, you heard that. The Democrats are asking, is that really what's happening? Now, part of why they're upset is because uh, the Democrats on the committee were given the new language for the new Senate Bill 7 right before the meeting started. So they haven't had a chance to read through all this yet, and they don't quite trust. I mean, one thing about a legislative process is if there's not trust, Um, then the kinds of explosions that you're about to hear, they do happen. Uh, The Democrats wanted to offer some changes to the bill, and um, that does not go well either here. Uh, Vice chair of the committee, Jessica Gonzalez, who is uh, a Democrat from Dallas, she took issue with what the chairman was trying to do. These two bills are substantially different. You have said that time and time again in
2: committee. You have many times that you have said that these bills are these bills are totally different. When somebody compares it to SB seven, I mean. So I, I mean, I have to object. I mean, we, okay. this is wrong. Uh, we deserve to have a public hearing on this. And so I'm, I'm going to object. And I'm going to offer three committee three amendments. Mr. I'm going to three committee amendments. So, it isn't the language in the committee sub well, we, the yeah, exact we, bill we had a mm. 22 hour hearing on? We, we, we got just no got the committee sub like literally like, seconds like, ago. Come on, it's man. It's the same thing. So. No. no,
1: it's not.
0: Yes, it this is. is
1: absolute crap. It's
0: the same thing. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he says it's okay. Don't worry about yeah. that. Now,
1: and, and a reminder <laughs> this is a committee hearing and not like a bar discussion <laughs> hearing somewhere <laughs> in town right. here.
0: Yeah, so Kane tries to, even after those questions and after one of the members of the committee saying this is crap and all of that, he tries to go ahead and hold the vote, and here's how that goes.
2: The chair moves that Senate Bill 7, as substituted, be reported favorably the full House of recommendation that do pass and be printed. The clerk will call the roll.
1: Chair Kane. Aye. Vice Chair Gonzalez?
2: Nay, but I again, I have the committee Nextly? substitutes that of the committee amendments we're in the middle of voting so you're not going to recognize my the amendments that i offered
1: clarity <clears throat> it's
2: bullshit
0: fiero i believe i heard him
2: yeah we're not drinking. all right so we'll be doing this after the floor
0: yeah, so they did not vote on it at that time. They ended up voting on it later in the evening. And Kane uh, you heard him try to steamroll past the Democrats, even being able to offer the changes they would like yeah. to make later in the evening. They were able to offer the uh, changes, uh, but those were all voted down on partisan lines. All the Republicans voting no on the amendments the Democrats would like to uh, see added, uh, and all the republic and the, the Democrats, of course, voting yes uh, for those amendments. Um, Governor Abbott was defending Senate Bill 7, and of course at this point that means that HB 6, Senate Bill 7, they're all the same now in the legislative process. It's all the same thing. So that's how you will want to think about it moving forward. Um, He was at, uh, well, where was this? You watched the whole thing. It was in Orlando? Yes. And it was a Fox News town hall uh, with Laura Ingram. Here's what Abbott had to say.
3: First in Texas, Republicans won the 2020 election. Uh, Second. (laughs) Second. In SB 7, we are increasing the hours for early voting. Uh, We maintain the same number of early voting days, days that New York and President Biden's home state of Delaware do not have. Are they calling Delaware racist? Are they calling New York racist or voter suppression?
0: No. Abbott parroting Dan Patrick from his press conference a few weeks ago, where he had said the same thing, that uh, there are these uh, Democratic liberal states that don't have as much in-person early voting as Texas does. I saw where one voting expert was saying that the way you should think about uh, voting restrictions or voting rules, uh, and whether it's making things better or worse in a state, is to compare it to itself, not to other states. So if you look at what we have now in Texas, and you ask this question, does this make it harder to vote in Texas? Objectively, the answer is yes, with a bunch of the different provisions in this legislation. What else was Abbott saying there about, uh, you know, this whole voting fight? And I know he was probably talking about some other issues as well.
1: Yeah, he 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 was all over the place. They, they asked him tons of questions about mm. you know everything from the pandemic to the economy. Uh, but yeah, it was that issue where he was talking about that he would be he, he wants Senate Bill seven to come. Of course, we don't know exactly what he wants Senate Bill seven to look like. As we just pointed out, it's like what Senate Bill seven looks like in terms of you know will it have that provision to allow poll watchers to record every moment of every voter mm-hmm. in the booth you know who knows you know it's like we don't right. know if that's going to remain in there or not so what exactly he wants senate bill seven to have uh is not entirely clear mm-hmm. um and certainly the concept of you know you know cutting down on things that harris county did is pretty much the you know The whole story, right? You know, this is what it's all about. It's about making sure Harris County can't do 24 hour voting anymore. Make sure Harris County can't do drive through voting. You know, make sure Harris County doesn't have nearly as many, you know, polling sites as they did before. All that is in the current Senate Bill 7, Mm -hmm. not the House version, though.
0: Although the House version was just subbed into. The other one, right? The substitute. Well, uh, what I would say is that uh, as Abbott is saying all that and, and, you know, projecting such certitude with that crowd and they're applauding the things he's saying about it, um, while he's saying it, the legislation is changing in the moment, right? I mean, that was last night at this town hall, and that was uh, being voted on, that issue being voted on in a committee last night. Uh, I was watching the committee. Uh, I would say I was a lot closer to what was happening in the legislature than the governor, who was on stage with all of these other folks who, um, is it fair to say, maybe considering running for other things, these, these other people that he was there talking with?
1: Well, maybe Ron DeSantis. Yeah, okay. the other governors on there. I'm not so sure anybody's clamoring for the governor uh, Tate Reeves of Mississippi to be the oh, next president. Not, not holding my breath on that one. But you know, certainly, you know, the whole appeal to me to watch this thing was to have Ron DeSantis and you know Greg Abbott side by side talking mm-hmm. about the pandemic, with the realization that you know Florida opened so much earlier. Uh, Their businesses and didn't have the mask mandate that we had. And so it's like it was perfectly positioned for Laura Ingram to ask, Governor Abbott, why did it take you longer than Ron DeSantis? That question never came, though. It was just Mm. such a... I knew it. I shouldn't have expected it, of course, but it would have been nice just to say, hey, so what do you have to say about your critics who say you didn't Mm -hmm. go as fast as Ron DeSantis?
0: Well, since you watched it, let me ask this. Does Abbott get more applause for talking about what he's trying to do on voting, or does DeSantis get more applause for what he did on the pandemic?
1: Oh, it was clearly a home turf for Ron DeSantis. He got a lot more, you know, applause. Most of the people in that audience obviously were Floridians. You know, I actually recognized a few of them from my old days of covering, you know, Florida. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty much a a picked crowd. At the very end of the program, though, Laura Ingram said she's going to have another one of these in Texas at some point. So, you know, Abbott would have his home crowd. And then we could really kind of judge, you know, whether or not people are applauding him versus other governors.
0: Right. Well, I'll certainly look forward to that. Now, why are they pushing uh, these voting laws? We have talked about this before, and there was more evidence of it yesterday. Uh, Donald Trump, the ex-president, uh, on a teletown hall supporting a congressional candidate in a special election in Dallas-Fort Worth, he endorsed Susan Wright, who is the widow of Ron Wright, who passed away uh, earlier this year, opening up the seat in Congress. And how many people are running for that seat? More than 20. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, huge. It's Everybody wants
1: to be a congressman, I guess. Well,
0: it seems to me like, and I could be wrong, could, I could be way off. It's a Republican-dominated electorate in this uh, in the special election uh, for this seat. And President Trump, putting his stamp of approval on Susan Wright, probably gets her over the finish line, but we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Uh, but at this teletown hall, which was sponsored by uh, Club for Growth, one of these anti-tax groups, um, he continued to make unfounded allegations that the presidential election was rigged. At this time, he suggested his Texas victory over Joe Biden, which remember, he won by about six points over Biden in Texas, that he actually won by more than that. And um, maybe that the Texas Secretary of State, who, of course, is a Republican and uh, is appointed by Greg Abbott, who you just heard brag about the fact that Republicans were victorious in Texas, Trump says no. It was it was better than what the election night results were, <laughs> which is completely unfounded, totally made up. Here yeah. was the quote, and I was looking for a recording of the Teletown Hall. I couldn't find it. If we if we find it, I may play it on the next show. Uh, he said, "Quote: I appreciate the big win we had in Texas, and it was probably even bigger than they had down. You know what I mean by that. But we won by a lot, and it wasn't close. And I love Texas. Right. That this is what drives it." there is no responsibility for having lost the election yeah. you know that every time that um, you know political parties have lost national elections there's some self-reflection you know some some looking inward to try to figure out what they did wrong right and that's just not happening at all and the republican party is not doing that and is still so in the grasp of donald trump right? Even though he, he lost. I mean, think about it this way. After John Kerry lost, there's no cult of John Kerry after he lost. He just he lost. He's gone. So, and that's, this is bipartisan. After Mitt Romney lost, there's no cult of Mitt Romney afterwards. People don't say, you know, the election was rigged and Romney really won and just hold on to it forever and would never let it go. Uh, but with this, there is no self-reflection. It's Republicans insisting that Trump was cheated, Right? He's perfect, well, and there's no way that he actually lost. And in fact, this this takes it even to another level, Jeremy, because we've heard that before. But what I'm saying now, we've probably said a version of that on previous programs. This is to another level. He's saying, yeah, I won Texas, but actually, I won it by more than your own Republican Secretary of State says that I did.
1: Which is really hard to understand because he lost Texas worse than any Republican running for president since – You know, you go back to 1976. It's like a Republican hasn't done this badly running for president in Texas since then. And yet here he is making it sound like not only did he win, but he won by a bigger margin. It's Mm -hmm. like, what? No, no, no. None of that's accurate. It's like at some point you just wonder, it's like as you keep saying that kind of stuff, does it make the the Republican Party kind of not – You know, work on the things that are a problem for them right now in Texas. Mm -hmm. When you see places like, you know, Houston and San Antonio that were once Republican or voted Republican at times now voting 100% for Democrat, why not fix that problem rather than just pretend you won everything by bigger margins than ever before and aren't I great? You know, right. Self
0: reflection. Uh, You know, what what was it about uh, what you were selling that people did not want to buy? Yeah. Right? and, and, and I, I should add that it's, it's that um, these parties they do self-reflection if they want to find a way back to victory right? yeah. there are things that I need to change about myself so that it, that people will uh, you know buy into what I'm selling and they're just not doing that at all. Do you remember what Governor Abbott said last week about this proposal to let people walk around Texas almost anywhere with some exceptions uh, with no permit uh, for their handgun? what they call constitutional carry he sort of danced around that question right
1: yeah i was standing inches from him as he said this
0: (laughs) now am i characterizing this correctly he was just asked point blank would he sign the bill does he support it right i mean that was that was the question and you have to listen closely here because the audio isn't great Uh, but this is what abbott said about a week ago uh, about the question of permitless carry of handguns in texas
3: I and my office, we are looking at all these bills as they're working their way through the Capitol. Uh, and while we are working uh, to see what happens with legislation like that, uh, what I'm uh, focusing on uh, are the items that I listed uh, as emergency items, uh, items that I talked about in my state of state address. Uh, one thing that I've made clear, uh, and that is in order to avoid a special session, we have to pass the emergency items, we have to pass the items that I talked about uh, in my state of state. And so we are working to make sure uh, that those issues are positioned in a way so we can get them across the finish line as we do con-
1: Thank you guys. Thank
0: and then folks, of course, would like to add, you know, ask a follow-up question because none of that really answered the question at all. That deflection must be going over like a lead balloon with Republican voters. I'm going to bet that a poll was done in the meantime that gets us to the new answer on this. So Abbott was on um, a radio station in Dallas Uh, on the conservative WBAP, as a a conservative talk station. Rick Roberts puts the exact same question to Abbott, and about a week later, here's the new answer.
2: Are you going to support constitutional carry, Governor? Well, I I do support it, but
3: let's be clear about what's going on, because I feel good about uh, where things are in the legislative session. Uh, For your listeners, the Texas House of Representatives has passed out a constitutional carry bill uh, out of the entire House. Uh, the, the Senate uh, now has a new special committee uh, that's working on this, and I've talked to several senators on that committee, uh, and it, I believe it is making progress. And so uh, once, uh, once the, the Senate passes it out, uh, the House and Senate will convene and work out uh, any differences and get it to my desk, and I'll be signing it. So, yeah, uh, I, I support it, and I believe it should reach my desk and we should have constitutional carry in Texas. And, and you know, listen, for your audience, this is something that 20 other states already have adopted. And it's time for Texas to adopt it, too.
0: Lieutenant Governor Patrick has a similar take on this after being similarly noncommittal uh, even yeah. a week ago. Both of them had basically taken a pass on answering this question uh, You know, as recently as about a week ago. Uh, Patrick had said that they didn't have the votes for it in the Senate. It reminded me of the answer that Patrick gave when he was asked about casino gambling in Texas. It, it, he didn't really take a hard position on the issue. He talked about why it's difficult to get it through the Senate. Yeah. Which, I mean, am I being fair with that? Um, who is this radio host that Patrick was visiting with yesterday? Uh, Dana, how do you say her name? Lesh.
1: Uh, Dana Lesh, yeah. She, she's a former NRA, she, yeah. you know, you know she was the celebrity NRA type person. Yeah. She was like their
0: spokesperson, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So she has a radio show, and uh, Patrick um, wanted to talk about this issue with Dana Lesh after she had called him out on social media and said, what's happening with this? Is the bill that all these Second Amendment enthusiasts are – the bill that they're supporting, is it going to get through the Texas Senate? Now – I'm going to play some of Patrick's answers for you. This is a little lengthy, but I would like you to try to identify where he actually answers that question. Is it going to get through the Senate? All right. <laughs> There's a lot of words that are said here, but keep, keep that in your mind. Like it, does he answer this question? Is it going to get through the Senate? And remember, he, he has created this new committee. As of one week ago on Friday, we had reported out here on the show and at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com that there was this new committee handpicked by Patrick of Republican, m- mostly Republicans who want to vote yes on constitutional carry. Here's a little bit of the conversation between Patrick and Dana Lesh.
4: Tell us exactly what's happening. This is the constitutional carry bill that's in the Senate, but th- it's it's struggling to get out of committee to the floor from what I understand.
3: No, uh, there's a lot of internet uh, myths out there, uh, as, as you are well aware of things that uh, you say or you do uh that aren't true so in fact i last week i formed a brand new committee called constitutional issues and on that committee there are seven members five republicans and two democrats the five republicans are have already either said they support the bill or they were A co-author of the bill. So the bill will pass out of committee. It will not struggle out of committee. The hearing, I think we have 300 witnesses, so they may not finish until after midnight, but it will be voted out today. I don't know about the two Democrats. The two Democrats uh, that are on the committee uh, are support uh, concealed carry, which we've had, and pretty much have supported gun rights. I don't know that they'll uh, cross over and vote for this bill, but we'll see. Uh, One is indicated. He's thinking about it, but it will pass out of committee.
0: If there's a myth online or anywhere else that this bill is struggling in the Texas Senate, it would have started by coming out of the mouth of Dan Patrick, who said there were not enough votes to bring it to the floor. Exactly. Am I wrong?
1: That's the thing when you hear that and it's like it's like I I can't tell if he just doesn't have a memory of saying that a week ago, uh, it's just been wiped out of his brain and he can't remember who started this rumor. It's like it was literally him. It's like uh, you know we wrote the story because of what he said, not Mm -hmm. because of any sort of analysis from you know, me or anyone at the Houston Chronicle, we wrote about this because he said it didn't have the votes to pass and he was going to keep working on it.
0: Internet myth. He's saying what's in the Chronicle, what's in these other publications, it's internet myths. He said there's another myth out there that the bill doesn't have enough Republican support, but then he says, and admits this, that not all Republicans support it.
3: We have 18 Republicans and there are 13 Democrats. Uh, to pass a bill, uh, we need all 18 Republicans to support it, uh, unless I pull a rabbit out of the hat, and I may have a rabbit out of the hat if I don't have 18, Uh, but so I can't lose a vote. And when it came over, Dana, we had about six in favor of it, about six against it, and six they weren't sure. We're now up to uh, 12 votes, maybe 13. I'm still a few short uh, when we get to the floor, but I'm going to bring it to the floor. Another internet myth that we're not going to bring it to the floor and it's rare that I do this. Usually, if you don't have the votes for a bill, you don't bring a bill up that's going to lose. But this is an important issue, and we're going to bring it to the floor next week. And I'm optimistic and working to uh, be sure we get those uh, votes to pass it to pass it out.
0: You know how we had to explain what was happening in that committee earlier? Things were a little arcane at the legislature, but I'm happy to explain it. Um, think of it this way. The Texas Senate has a higher threshold for bringing legislation up for debate than it does for passage, right? Um, it, It used to be that 21 senators had to agree that a bill should make its way to the floor to be debated. And if 21 senators voted to bring it to the floor, that wasn't a guarantee that 21 would vote for it. Now, most of the time they would, Yeah. but not always there are some times that you may not agree with a specific proposal, but you do agree that it's worth talking about. So there yeah, are different thresholds and, and and yeah so so if you think of it that way, the rules actually make perfect sense. It's like there's a lot of times that you might agree and you will engage in a debate because it's a worthy, topic, it's a worthy proposal. It doesn't mean that you necessarily agree with the conclusion of the person making the argument on the other side, and you may not end up supporting what it is that they're pushing, but no piece of legislation is perfect. Patrick said that what he's going to do is hold a vote on whether to move forward with the bill, even if It may not necessarily have the 18 votes ready to go to move it forward. And I'm trying to remember. It probably has happened at some point, Jeremy. I cannot remember that ever happening, where the lieutenant governor held a vote on whether to move forward with a bill if it didn't have the necessary votes to move forward. They don't do that. That's, That's not the way it's done. And there are various reasons for this, including what I just said. It also makes a lot of folks uncomfortable who are in the legislative process to have to be on the record with a vote if it's not going to pass anyway. Yeah. Right. And so uh, you know that there are certain Republicans who do not want to vote on this at all. Patrick says he's close to being able to bring it forward and move it forward. Uh, But he admitted there that he's at least five votes down in the Republican caucus.
1: Well, and, and again, let's take that time machine back to last week when he said, if we have the votes to pass permitless carry on the floor, I will move it. It's like like so so if he if he doesn't have the votes, but now he's saying that it's a myth that he won't bring it to the floor, uh, but but he had said that he was going to bring it to the floor until you know he had the votes, and so I don't know. It's it's a very confusing two weeks trying to figure Mm -hmm. out you know how he's trying to position. It tells me he's had some sort of evolution of some sort on this, whether it be on the actual topic. Mm-hmm. uh of permitless carry, you know or not. I don't know. it's like or if it's just something like he thinks there can be a vote on it or he wants to you know obviously creating that committee. Uh, but it's interesting you, you never hear him say constitutional carry you know it's just like he, he avoids that word versus what you heard Abbott saying mm-hmm. using that word and embracing it so yeah. there's a you know there must be something in Dan Patrick's mind that continues to say no we're going to call this permitless carry and I'm still very worried about law enforcement and I'm going to mm-hmm. continue to kind of listen to them and try to figure out what I can Go about
0: here, you know, and I think as much as Patrick and uh, most of the Republican Party has really staked um, their position on support for law enforcement across a host of issues over, especially over the last year. um, uh, I think Patrick has never been enthusiastic about this specific proposal ever. Um, You know, way before any of the back the blue stuff and all of that. I mean, I'm thinking back to 2015 uh, when this was debated uh, on the Senate floor as an amendment to the open carry bill. Uh, and Patrick at that time, he was not enthusiastic about it. And I will repeat something I said before. And some folks will laugh because I repeat myself all the time. I'll repeat this again. Patrick can pass something out of the Texas Senate if he wants to. He is he is the Texas Senate in a yeah. lot of respects. They bend to his will all the time. And in my conversations with senators on this, it has become very clear. Patrick, at least... Up until last week was not leaning on them to do this, uh, you know, not telling them you know, privately anything like you'll suffer the consequences if you don't vote to move this forward. He was not doing anything like that, which is in stark contrast to some other things like his property tax legislation previously in the 2019 legislative session um, on the electricity repricing debate, which we mentioned last week. He was leaning on them hard to support what he wanted on that. Uh, He's not, he has not been doing that on this. And I still think even with these new comments he's making, Jeremy, he's, he's not really doing that just yet.
1: Yeah, I, I'm getting that same sense too, and, and and it's very important for people to kind of remember. And so yesterday there was a lot of testimony, you know, uh, you know, on, on this issue, you know, particularly from law enforcement. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to quote uh, Ray Hunt. Okay. Uh, he's the executive director of the uh, Houston Police Officers Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came out and said, "Look, if there aren't changes, like the bill as it currently stands, if it's not amended, they are a hard no." on this legislation still um so like yes you have that you know where you have like you know these are police these are cops these are these are you know the back the blue you know world that you know, the Texas Senate has been trying to, you know, be supportive of, right? And here they have this issue in which, it, n- not just Ray Hunt, but, you know, uh, Dallas had, you know, you know police officers there as well, talking about, you know, really talking about how this is dangerous for them. It's mm-hmm. like, and one of the, you know, pleas was, you know, please help our officers go home safely. And so you have that going on. So they have to make some changes to this bill to kind of, uh, uh, it, it's funny because there were some amendments that have been, you know, that Charles Schwartner put out yesterday on this bill. He's the Mm -hmm. state senator who's pushing this, of course. And, like, he said he has, like, six amendments, and he read the six amendments, but then he pulled them down and didn't put them on the bill. And so I'm not sure what kind of (sighs) game is getting played here, uh, but I'm assuming they're bringing the, the bill that the police still oppose to the floor, and they will start amending it to a way in which the police are more acceptable of it, I'm assuming, to help kind of bring people over.
0: Yeah, it's possible, although um, they can't do any of the amendments on the floor if they can't bring it up for debate. And exactly. Patrick says he is still five votes down at least. That's what he said to Dana Lesch there. Is it going to pass? Remember, w- w- when we started this conversation, um, that's what I asked you to keep in mind. As you're listening to Dan Patrick, does he ever actually answer the question – Is this going to be brought up for debate? Will you have 18 votes to be able to do that? Um, He said something in this interview that I thought was pretty funny. It made me chuckle. It's pretty funny. He said that he doesn't bully senators into supporting anything, which would be the exact opposite of what I just said a little while ago.
3: I don't go out there and bully someone into a a, a must vote. I try to bring them along, find out what their objections are, and bring them together so that they make that decision on their own. Because when a lieutenant governor, and in Texas, we're different than any other state. The lieutenant governor is the president of the Senate. Yeah. No bill gets to the floor without me approving it, getting to the floor. And I, I control all the committee chairs. I appoint them and the committee members like this committee I put together, I handpick them and the chairman. Uh, but at the same time, it's better for people to get there and be supportive of it. And, uh, and I think we're making a lot of progress. Uh, And I I think we'll be successful. But I don't want to sit here today and say next week, oh, absolutely, we'll pass the bill because that might actually turn someone who's on the fence uh, who is leaning against and say, oh, I'm not going to let the lieutenant governor tell me how I'm voting. Uh, Then it looks like I'm following his lead. I try to bring them together. And I've been very successful as lieutenant governor. Anytime we've had a vote where I've needed 18 votes. We've always gotten them. Sometimes it takes a while, but I'm going to bring this to the floor next week because we need to move it on.
0: The kinder, gentler Dan Patrick. Remember him screaming at reporters a few weeks ago? Um, In this case, he's saying that the way he works with senators is to try to have thoughtful conversations and bring them together uh, on an issue that people within the Republican Party ought to be able to agree on. But uh, all the reporting here uh, indicates that there are a lot of Republicans who want to do what you said, Jeremy. They want to side with law enforcement, and it puts them in a real tough position. One of the things that did have support in the Senate to pass is this question of paying college athletes. Yeah. What's the issue here?
1: Yeah, the evolution of this, you know, issue is really interesting. You know, it's like I've never heard a floor speech quite like what uh, Brandon Creighton of Conroe, you mm-hmm. know, brought up. He was he, he flat out said he was against his own bill, <laughs> and but he's evolved over time on it because you know it's like he was, obviously like he's he's worried about the sanctity of college football. He wants to yeah. enjoy these amateur athletes. Mm-hmm. Doesn't think they need to be paid because they're getting college scholarships and things like that. You You know, but uh, one of the issues that's happened in, in, you know, if you go back to California in 2019, I believe they were the first ones out of the gate that passed legislation that allows college athletes to, you know, make money off their name and likeness. You know, think of like, you know, uh, a, a, a swimmer being able to, you know, teach swim classes in the summer. It's like right now the NCAA does not allow that. You know, it's like you can if you're a music student, but you can't do it if you're, you know, in a sport and want to do that. And so yeah. this opens the door for, you know, athletes to be able to like advertise, do endorsements and things mm-hmm. like that and make money off of it. Lots of opposition to it in Texas. Like I said, Creighton was against it, but he said the turning point was when he saw Florida in Alabama, two heavily college football crazy places, right? Yeah, uh, they have passed similar bills to allow uh, student athletes to get paid. So you he and he didn't hide the fact on the floor. He said, "This is you know we will start losing recruits to mm-hmm. you know Alabama and Florida because they know yeah. they can get paid for their likeness and name, and Texas doesn't have that." Even the ads for Texas you know, University of Texas and Texas A and M. Testified not necessarily for the idea Mm -hmm. of like paying students, but they want Texas to do something because they too see the disadvantage, you know, we're going to get in recruiting people to the state to play football uh, if. Alabama and Florida can come and say, hey, you can make money on the side here. You can't do it in Texas. Yeah, and
0: everyone has an opinion on this one. It's, uh, It's pretty remarkable that anybody would hold out this idea that college athletics isn't a business. You know, yeah, and I mean, how many hundreds of millions of dollars? And look at the empire that uh, you mentioned, A and M, and the University of Texas, UT at Austin in particular, and how much money flows because of the football program, and the, right. you know all of the involvement of the alumni and all of that. It's just uh, it's, it, it it flies in the face of reason <laughs> that you would say, well, you know, the the people who are actually doing the work should not be paid.
1: Yeah. Clearly the coaches in the universities are making a lot of money off these kids coming Mm -hmm. to college. You know, a lot of them, you know, aren't going to go pro. You know, it's like you think about all those players, you know, on the football team, you know, at any major university and like you get one or two that go pro. You know, yeah. it's at most of them, if you're lucky. It's like you think of all those kids who will play, you know, say like I'm just going to pick a University of North Texas mm-hmm. or, you know, Texas State. Like all those kids, you know, their pro- prospect of becoming a pro is pretty limited. And so but yet they're helping those universities and those coaches make millions of dollars and they don't get a share of that.
0: Amazing. Um, Dan Crenshaw is back on the job. Republican congressman from Houston. He offered an update on Twitter after having uh, eye surgery, uh, and it was an emergency. A, a friend of mine who was going to uh, go to, I think, a fundraising event uh, with Crenshaw or some Republican event, uh, and uh, Crenshaw, I think, was supposed to MC this deal uh, a couple weeks ago, yeah. and suddenly he wasn't there. And they said, what happened with this? And it turns out that, uh, you know, uh, Crenshaw, who wears an eye patch uh, because he was wounded in war, um, I think there's some residual effects with the other eye and it had to be dealt with as well. Uh, Here's what Crenshaw had to say uh, earlier. uh, Was this today or yesterday? Um, Yesterday. uh, On on social media. uh, He tweeted this out.
4: Hey, everybody. Quick update from Houston, Texas. Um, Still alive. Still doing okay. Um, Still can't see it very well. So if you want to get an idea of what I see, imagine putting on a dive mask and of course, blocking out uh, one half of it and then inject some kind of like bubbly soapy solution into it. So you're seeing through bubbles and, uh, and then wipe the outer lens with some Vaseline for good measure. That's sort of what I see. Um, still got some pain and inflammation. You can, you can see that a pretty red eye. Um, but doctors are optimistic, uh, been to various follow-up appointments by now. And the retina is staying in place, which which means we're hopeful I'll return to some sense of normalcy in the next couple months, which means I can correct my vision uh, basically back to normal again. So that's what we're hoping for. And we're optimistic that will happen. I will be back with you soon enough. Uh, I'm already doing my official duties. I'm back to doing committee hearings. Uh, No problem. Even a blind knuckle dragger can do committee hearings. Uh, So no worries there. Uh, Tara and I are fine. Uh, we're having a good time. I've listened to countless audiobooks by this point. And um, you know what? We're really appreciative of all of the well wishes, all of the prayers. It really helps. So thank you. We'll be back in the fight soon.
0: You had done some reporting on what led to this in the first place. I mean, he was wounded yep. in war and um, it, it, you know, in his uh, political career. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that he does have this experience in the military is is key to his uh, overall uh, you know life story and and one of the reasons that he has such appeal with the people that that really love the guy
1: yeah it's easy to forget when we see these uh you know soldiers turn politicians. You know, on any soldier, quite honestly, uh, to see like the wounds they carry with them, you know, years and years after they were on the battlefield, right? It's kind of right. you know it, he wears an eye patch, so there's that memory there. But mm-hmm. it's like it, like I thought it was important in a story that I wrote, you know, earlier this week, uh, uh, to kind of ex- explain to people what exactly this man has gone through. When he talks about re- getting his sight back to normal, it is very abnormal, you know, because of what happened to him. This was nine years ago when he was in Kandahar in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And you know, he was obviously a Navy SEAL at that point. Uh, they were, you know, playing backup to Marines who were in a firefight. Well, mm-hmm. while he's there, you know, his interpreter, you know, ends up stepping on uh, an IED that you know blows up right mm-hmm. in front of him, uh, and it. Uh, it nearly killed him, of course. Uh, but he lost, you know, one eye for sure, and so he can't see out of that other. That eye's gone, and so then uh, his he was blinded at that point, you know, because of the damage to his retina at that point. And the doctors had warned him that while they were able to restore it, he was always going to have this risk of the retina further detaching. And that's exactly what had happened at the beginning of the month. Mm -hmm. And he kind of said it, like he knew this was always a possibility that this could happen again. So he lives with this fear that his sight can be taken away, you know, at any moment, because again, remember of what he kind of did on the battlefield nine years ago in Afghanistan. Uh, And so you just kind of, it's like, it's kind of a good memory, not only uh, good for us to remember as we see these soldiers that, you know, even the physical things we can't see, they're still carrying those experiences mm-hmm. 9, 10 years later. Or think of Vietnam-era people, you know, yeah. 30, 40 years. Like, you can carry that stuff for a long, long time, and it's never quite over. And in this case, Dan Crenshaw's battle uh, for his vision is just not over.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Godspeed to him. Uh, hope he's all right. You know, and it's an interesting point that you have. Uh, Those folks who did serve in the military and served honorably, but for the public, what they may see as far as that is just what's in the campaign commercial.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's it, right? There's no lasting uh, visual to remind them of that all the time. Um, There was an accusation at the Texas Capitol this week that I think it's fair to say was not shocking But, and here's why I would say that because I, I, in these situations, I try to do more listening than talking that may surprise some people. (laughs) Um, but, but it, I, it's, it's a serious thing. Um, there was an accusation that a young female capital staffer had been drugged, uh, with date rape drug, um, that she had been roofied is, is, you know, the way they would say it on the street, um, by a lobbyist and, this just sent a shockwave through the Texas Capitol, uh, but it was reported yesterday. The Texas Department of Public Safety, which was investigating, and the Travis County District Attorney's Office came out and said definitively no crime occurred, that apparently this did not happen. Um, the only thing I can think of, Jeremy, that would get a prosecutor to go that far in their commentary on this, in in a public statement, say that the thing that was alleged didn't happen. Only thing I can think of is that the victim, the alleged victim, said that it didn't happen, that maybe there was that maybe the story was misunderstood or that um, that a story was uh, told to some folks and it turned out to not be true. Um, And I think that the Department of Public Safety and the DA's office did a a decent job. Not uh, listen No one is happy with the way all this unfolded, and there's a lot of unsettled people, and I want to talk about this with some sensitivity because it deserves that. Um, I think that the DPS and the DA's office in Travis County, they were trying to avoid creating an environment in which victims of sexual assault don't want to come forward. Of course, they want them all to come forward, right? And they said as much in their statement, you always want to um, honor what these folks have to say and hear them out. And there should be an investigation that is thorough, um, and that if anybody really did do something like this, that they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, Earlier in the week, and I want to make clear, what I'm about to play for you happened well before the DA and DPS declared that no crime had occurred. Um, On Monday, Speaker of the House Dade Phelan did something that I'm trying to remember if I ever saw this before. Um he went to the front microphone of the house and made a speech um as if he was just another one of the members uh, usually the speaker is up on the dais elevated above everybody else and um and and serves in a very different role from the rest of the members of the house uh but Phelan was going out of his way to say that as a former staffer which he used to work in the house copy room that's how he got started um as a former staffer and a member of the body, he had some things to say about this allegation uh, that really had just rocked the Capitol.
1: These allegations shake our Capitol families to its core. And I am disgusted that this sort of predatory behavior is still taking place in and around our Capitol.
0: Now, it's sort of tricky now that the DA and the DPS, that they say that this didn't happen. Uh, Phelan laid out the procedures for reporting sexual harassment in the house, which is not the same as assault. Uh, these are, you know, this is all connected and part of a, a certain culture, but those aren't the same. Uh, he said this is more about the culture in the building, and it, it, it's also sort of about uh, what people are willing to tolerate. Well, they see it, but they don't say anything. He wants people to come forward instead.
1: For too long, the culture of the house has made victims of harassment feel as if they can't or shouldn't come forward because it might ruin their reputation or ruin their career. Victims shouldn't have to decide between their career and coming forward. That has to change.
0: One of the longest-serving legislators in, not just in Texas, but in the United States, uh, Representative Sanferonia Thompson, Democrat of Houston, she listened to these comments from Phelan, and then she wanted to be recognized to just say one thing to the Speaker.
2: Ms. Speaker. Ms. Thompson, for a purpose. Does the Speaker yield? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.
4: Thank you, Missy.
0: That speech that Phelan gave, in which he laid out some of the procedures for dealing with sexual harassment claims at the Capitol, was really directed, Jeremy, I think, at... The capital community and at the House specifically. He was talking to the members. He's talking to the staffers. He's also talking to female lobbyists. You know, there, it was very unfortunate, I thought, that um, earlier in the week there were some people who were glomming onto this. That's the term I'm going to use. They were glomming onto this to try to advance other um, uh, political goals. Uh, for example, I saw folks at the Texas Public Policy Foundation uh, say, online, that as as soon as this allegation was made, they were saying, this is a good time to remind y'all that governments should not be able to hire lobbyists. Well, right. They're going straight to something else that they want to talk about. Then I saw certain legislators saying that this lobbyist who is accused and the company that they work for will now be banned from my legislative office. All right. So they jumped straight to that. And they said that that was a safety measure. Um, And then you had at least two legislators say that all lobbyists were banned from their office. It would be as if if one person in a profession had been accused of something, let's say if a reporter had been accused of something, and then legislators said, well, you know, all reporters are banned from our offices and from the Texas Capitol. That would not make any sense. Um, But the speaker is really um, putting a focus on and after the. DA and the DPS came out and said that no crime occurred, which was a very definitive statement once again. Um, The speaker said, well, that doesn't change what I said earlier in the week, which is we have to do better around here when it comes to this stuff. This happens across industries. This happens in – look, if you think about – and our producer Sarah and I were talking about this earlier. If you think about where the most news coverage is when it comes to these things, it's in – and this is in my estimation – it's in two – there's sort of two competing cultures. There, there's one, which is the sort of permissive culture where these things go on and people act like, oh, boys will be boys, and you know, don't worry about it. The guy who's making these off-color comments all the time and creating a hostile work environment, that's just the way it is around here. And a lot of people will point to that. But at the same time, there's a culture of people who want to change it and want to fix it. So think about where those industries are. It's media, it's politics. Um, Hollywood, Broadway, um, you've you've seen all these stories where, you know, maybe a theater company, uh, they decide that, uh, you know, the guy who runs the place needs to be run off because he's, you know, acted in horrible ways uh, to the people who are the performers. And uh, of course, we remember, you know, what had happened with Harvey Weinstein and all of that. Um, You think this never happens in the oil and gas industry? How many stories are there about that? Do you, uh, you know, there, there were some interesting reports about uh, how blue-collar workers, you know, women who are, uh, you know, maids at hotels uh, have to put up with this kind of stuff from from men, and it's terrible. And, uh, you know, people who work in serv- the service industry, yep. uh, you know, who don't have a big, um, you know, big megaphone to speak out on this stuff. It happens everywhere. Yep. It happens everywhere. The conversations seem to happen in certain places. And it's good that they do. Um, but this happens everywhere. And it's something that people just need to not put up with. you know. And, and, and I do think that, as I said, I, I try to listen more than speak when it comes to these things. My my text messages this week, the, the traffic that I saw on social media, when this allegation was made, and, and this is the main thing I would say about it, when the allegation was made, I didn't hear anybody say, there's no way that that happened. Yeah. No exactly. n- right. Nobody said. Th- nobody said. I can't believe that. That there's no way that that's true. Instead, what I saw was a flood of women at the Capitol saying, "Of course it did." And all they wanted to jump straight to was, "Who did it?" And let's let's deal with this. But they also wanted to talk about how they all have some story of some guy doing something that he should not do. And I want to say this. This is a little, sort of a personal thing. I got a, a few comments from some women who said, "Thank you for being one of the good guys at the Capitol," and I appreciate that. But at the same time, I feel like the bar for being a good guy ought to be higher than not being garbage.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know,
0: because there are some people who are just awful. Yep. So. Yeah, a lot um, of people haven't gotten
1: yeah. the memo that, you know, it's 2021. And, like, you know, I don't care how many times you watch Mad Men or something, it's just not acceptable in this mm-hmm. day and age. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not. Uh, maybe one of the good things or maybe the thing that we should be doing, you know, as a culture in the Texas capital area, at least, is like mm-hmm. having this conversation more regularly. If you remember back in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of talk about tightening up the sexual harassment you know, policies in both the House and the Senate to address this issue because yeah. they realized mm-hmm. there were holes in the system that just weren't, you know, like we've talked about, that were preventing women from being able to come forward and, you know, try to get help right? And so they're trying to fix this thing. It wouldn't be a bad idea to go through that conversation maybe every session to say, Mm -hmm. wait, are we doing enough at this point? You know, are... what is in place? Is it enough? And you kind of heard that from you know the speaker you know talking about this and like the idea that this still like that's he used a word there it's like it's mm-hmm. still something right. that happens that we're trying to get out of the culture, right? You know, and it's like and it's, and at least as more women are getting elected to both the House and the Senate, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it, it's been a good thing in like showing that like we just can't let this be the same system in place as it was in 1980. You know, it's like it's got to advance. It's got to be better, and it's got to treat the women with far more respect than you know. Look, in twenty seventeen, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty one, mm-hmm. even now, you just see the the interactions, and it makes you nervous. You know, I don't care if you're a man or a woman; these are bad, you know, you know incidents that you just yeah. you get sick of seeing at some point.
0: Yeah, well, I want to hear um, all the thoughts that folks have on this. I mean, I would invite you to reach out to me, uh, ksbraddock at gmail.com. You can tweet at me, at Scott Braddock, and it's a conversation, like you say, that's going to continue. um, And we can have the most impact in the places where we are. And I am always at the Capitol. All right. If you enjoy the show. You should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcast. Give us the best rating that you can. We do appreciate it. And we would love if you would subscribe at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com. And we'll see you here next week to do this all over again.